Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights, and we're so glad that you found us online. You know, at Heights, it is our desire to love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places, on Facebook and on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have our own website where we're constantly posting things as well. If you're checking us out for the first time, you can go to heightschurch.org connect and let us know that you found us. And once again, we're so glad that you're here. Christmas, everybody, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord close to Christmas time. Amen. I mean, it's 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 exciting. This is an exciting part of the year. How many of you guys had a chance to come out last week to uh, Christmas songs at Heights? You get a chance to see that? Oh, good. I'm glad some of you guys got to see it because we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning, and so so you guys have an idea of what I'm talking about. But you know, there are so many things that are fun about the Christmas season. How many of you guys like? to look at Christmas lights. Look at Christmas lights, okay? How many of you guys like to hang Christmas lights? Uh, fewer hands, all right? For those of you that are watching at home, there are fewer hands up right now, okay? My favorite Christmas lights is the one, the, the, the person who is very smart that just has the Grinch in their yard with one strand of lights and that's it. Yeah, th that guy's a genius. One of my favorite things uh, that I did, that I remember doing as a kid when we were getting ready for Christmas was setting up the nativity scene. I loved it. And when I was very young, I remember we had this nativity scene and it was sort of, I think it was made out of cardboard. Like you punched the pieces out of cardboard and then you kind of folded it together with tabs. And I remember Jesus, I think Jesus was about this big. All right. And so, and he was flat. So it was like flat Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so I was, when I was little, I remember getting in there and playing with all the figures and putting baby Jesus in the manger. And I think the reason why I was allowed to play with that one is so I wouldn't break it. I think that's the reason. But so then my mom, uh, she collected this beautiful Avon nativity scene. I don't know if any of y'all had the same one. They were white porcelain figurines and she would usually get a new figure every uh, Christmas uh, as a gift and we would put these things together and I just remember being fascinated by that whole process of of getting all of the, the the figures out and kind of arranging them in the stable and you got the cows and the sheep and the donkeys and the oxen and all and the and the innkeeper and you know and, and all the different pieces and, and I thought about it and I thought you know that's, that shouldn't be surprising because of course you know the rest of my time as a kid I was playing with Legos or I was playing with action figures, and there's really not that much difference between playing with Mary and Joseph and the stable than, than you're playing with He-Man and Skeletor and Castle Grayskull, you know? I mean, or Optimus Prime and Megatron. I mean, it's kind of all the same thing when you think about it. You're using these visuals to tell a story, okay? And so then, then I got married, all right? And I married someone who loves nativity scenes, all right? We have willow tree nativity scenes. We have olive wood nativity scenes from Israel. We have nativity scenes that the kids bought her for $1.99 at Mardell when they were on sale one year. We have nativity scenes everywhere. In fact, in, in this day and age, we have to have one of those like um, spouse negotiations to decide how many nativity scenes are gonna come out of the box every year because there's only so many, there's only so many flat surfaces in my house. You know what I'm talking about? Any of y'all know what I'm talking about, where you have, you have more nativity scenes than you have house to display them. That's kind of where we're at. So, but my wife has some beautiful nativity scenes. We even have one uh, in our yard that's made out of buckets and planters that we got from Home Depot. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. 
Um, but all of these different nativity scenes tell the story of the birth of Jesus in a slightly different way. And, and I think it's interesting to kind of see what the different uh, figures in the nativity scene uh, tell about the story. And that made me think about um, how the different biblical authors tell the story. Uh, when we were doing our um, living nativity last week, I remember one of my kids asked me, we were driving somewhere in the car, and, and, and she said, Daddy, why aren't there any wise men in the living nativity that we're doing at Heights? And I said, well, sweetheart, that's because the wise men are, are part of Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus, and all of the scriptures that we're reading for Christmas songs at Heights come from the story of Luke. And so it just so happens, since we're reading Luke's story, Luke doesn't talk about the wise men. You see, each of the biblical authors has different ideas and different things that they're trying to convey about the birth of Jesus, about the coming of Jesus, and who Jesus is. So Luke is very concerned with the idea that Jesus is for everybody. And that's why when Luke tells his story, he lets you know about the shepherds. And that God was not someone, Jesus didn't come just for the rich and powerful, but Jesus came for the poor and for the lonely. And so the very first people that get to hear the good news about the birth of Jesus are the shepherds, poor, working, working class, everyday folks. Matthew is very interested in the idea that Jesus is the prophesied king of kings. He's the Jewish king, which means that he traces, uh, he traces Jesus' uh, genealogy from Abraham all down through King David and through all of the kings of Israel and quotes all of those prophecies, just like we read a few minutes ago, that, that point to the fact that this is the promised king who is coming. And so in Matthew's version of the story, he talks about that time when the three wise men, well, however many wise men came to worship the newborn king, and they gave him those kingly gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, Mark just can't be bothered, all right? Mark is, he's all about action, all right? So, so like, if Mark's uh, Christmas story would, would, would be a Christmas movie, it would be Die Hard, all right? So it's just, it's just all action all the time. There's no origin story with Mark. He just drops you right into Jesus' ministry. Jesus is already an adult. And in the first two chapters of Mark, he casts out demons, he heals paralytics, and he's totally like getting, getting into a big fight with the Pharisees all in the first chapter. That's the way Mark handles it, all right? So each of these biblical authors kind of has a different way that they tell the Christmas story to give you a different picture of who Jesus is. But John, John has totally the opposite take of Mark, all right? Mark is like, I can't be bothered with the origin story. We got to get right into the action. John's like, no, no, no. We got to start at the beginning. And when John says the beginning, he's not talking about the beginning like we're going to start at the manger. John isn't going to say we're going to start at the beginning and go to like when the angel came to Mary. No, no, no. When John says we're going to start at the beginning, we go all the way back to the beginning. So this morning, I would invite you to go ahead and get out a Bible uh, or a device if you've got a Bible app and, and join me in John chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to begin exploring over uh, this Sunday, Christmas Eve, and the next Sunday, how John tells the story of Jesus coming. This is how we, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 14 also. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. 
In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. So if Matthew paints a picture of Jesus being the king of kings, and Luke kind of highlights the, the, the picture of Jesus being the savior for all of mankind, rich, poor, powerful, not powerful, John's picture of Jesus is the word. So when you hear the way that John begins his gospel in the beginning, that ought to perk your, your ears up a little bit. You ought to recognize that. You ought to say, where, where have I heard that before? John's being very intentional about that. When, John's taking, when John says in the beginning, he's taking you all the way back to the beginning of the story of the Bible. That's the same way that Genesis 1 opens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John is saying is, you don't get any further back than God before time began. John is making a, a, a very, very clear and very strong claim about who Jesus is. You, you know, there, are, there will be folks that you will talk to that will say, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God. You know, that, we, we came up with that idea later. No, 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 no. You read the Gospel of John, starting in the very first verse and moving on from there, it's very clear throughout the entire, uh, throughout the entire Gospel that John is letting you know that Jesus was God and that Jesus claimed to be God. And he begins that claim right there in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, God is outside of time and space. God is not a part for, of his creation. He stands apart from his creation, all right? And so, so what John is telling you is before anything else was created, God was there. And Jesus was there. Also, because Jesus is God. God the Son, in eternity past, before the creation of the world, was there as a part of the Trinity, living in loving community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It's like when Jesus says later on, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's making this claim about the fact that, that, Jesus, that, that, that Jesus was born in a manger about 2,000 years ago, but that, but that God the Son existed in eternity past before anything else was created. In fact, John goes on to tell us that, that Jesus, the Word, was intimately involved in creation. He says uh, in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So you see, and, and so what John is doing here is he's using the, the Genesis 1 story, the story of the creation of the world, to tell you a little bit about who Jesus is and what Jesus does. See, if you think about, think about how that story in Genesis 1 works, all right? You start with nothingness and chaos, and then God begins to speak into the nothingness and the chaos. And God brings order to the chaos by the power of his word. What John is telling you there is that Jesus was there, that God the Son was part of that process, that God the Son brings order 
to chaos. And brothers and sisters, what I want us to understand this morning is that Jesus brings order to our chaos. Jesus brings order to our chaos. We live in a world that is filled with chaos. We live in a world where a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense. Jesus helps us to make sense of the world. I heard one philosopher say that Jesus, the the logos, the word, as he's described in John, is the organizing principle around which we organize our lives. Have you guys ever heard the, 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 um, the expression, the crux of something? You know, the crux of the argument is when they're talking about sort of the central focus. Well, that word crux means cross, all right? Jesus and the cross should be the central focus of all of our lives. It is, in, it is when we order our lives around Jesus that our world starts to make sense. It's when we order our lives around Jesus that God's word begins to make sense. You know, have you ever been kind of lost in like Leviticus or First Chronicles or some of the weird stuff in Judges and you're like, I don't, I'm trying, I, this doesn't make any sense. Begin to read the Bible with the understanding that it is a story that leads to Jesus. You know, Jesus talked about this. Uh, later on in John's gospel, Jesus says, um, Uh, In John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus says, the the Bible is about me. The whole point of the thousands of years of God speaking to his people and the Holy Spirit inspiring people to write it down was so that we could get a picture of the Messiah who was coming, the word who would one day become flesh. Brothers and sisters, if you're living in a world right now that feels like it's chaos and it's out of control, I want you to ask yourself, what is my organizing principle? Have I organized my life around Jesus? Am I making him the central focus of my life? Or have I allowed other things to be the central focus? You see, if Jesus is the central focus of your life, okay, then you can start looking at all those different areas of your life, all the different hats you've got to wear, you know, whether you're a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a a worker or an employer or a student, and you can start to figure out how all of those pieces fit around the central core of being a follower of Jesus. But if Jesus is something that you do on the weekend, then you got to ask yourself, what is that thing that's in your life that's the central focus of who you are? Is, as long as Jesus is not something that's in the center, something else will be, and you will f- find yourself living in a world that's filled with chaos. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is the word who brings order to our chaos. John goes on, and he says in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. For me, 2021 was a hard year, and I know for many of you guys in this room, you guys feel the same way. I'm at a point in my life after walking through 2021 that I have never been more aware of the reality of death than I have been this year. Um, I have lost family members that I was close to. I have lost 
good friends that I was close to. I've lost friends that I've known for a long time. I've lost friends that I had just had the honor of meeting. We as a church have had to say goodbye to several people over the last several months. We're living in a time now where the reality of death has never been more apparent to me. You know, I think kind of when we're kids, we sort of feel like we're going to live forever and we sort of assume everybody's going to live forever because everyone around us is, is young and living and we don't really see that. And then you get to a place in your life where you start to become more aware of the reality of death. And that's definitely where I'm at. It's definitely where I've been at this year. And so, you know, it's, it, it can be hard sometimes to sort of wrestle with the reality of death and to understand that life is a very precious thing. But brothers and sisters, the scriptures tell us that, that, that spiritually all of us were dead. You know? And so a, a, as much as I have become aware of the, of the reality of physical death living in the world that we live in and what's going on in, in our world in terms of the pandemic, as much as I've become aware of that this year, the reality is that all of us are living in a reality where we are coming from a place of spiritual death. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You know, I was trying to think about that. Like, what does, what, what, what is that picture of death? Like, what is a picture of, like, dead? Any of you guys ever remember the, the movie The Princess Bride? You know, they talks about, you know, we're not talking about mostly dead. We're talking about all dead, all right? When we were, when before we knew Jesus, all right, spiritually speaking, we were not mostly dead. We were all dead. All right, it's sort of like, okay, it's sort of like the Thanos snap, you know, at the end of Infinity War, when he snaps his fingers and you're just dust, like you're gone, completely gone, you know, that's death, that's the reality, you know, and then, and, and then, and then the theater, and then the theater goes black and my wife's sitting next to me, she's watching the movie, she says, what? That's it? That is the reality, that is the finality of our spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ. But you see, the good news is that Jesus came so that we didn't have to be dead anymore. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler, all right? This week I was watching a, a show on Disney Plus with the kids, and we got to see for the first time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe the fact that somebody get unsnapped, all right? So somebody was dust, and then they were, then they were brought back again. It was, totally, it was totally cool. It was totally cool to see. But see, that's what Jesus does for us, you know, um, Sorry, I was, got so busy talking about Marvel, I got lost in my notes. I'm trying to find my scripture. Put it on the screen for me, Carrie. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That's the good news. Jesus Christ brings us new life, all right? We're not, we're not all dead. We're not mostly dead. He's made us alive together. Snap, we're back again. We have the opportunity to have new life. You see, Jesus isn't, Jesus is the answer to our spiritual condition of death. When we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we have a new life that we don't have to, our eternal life doesn't start after we die. Our eternal life begins right now as we begin to order our lives around him and make him the organizing principle of our lives. We, he fills us with the Holy Spirit. He begins to change us from the inside life, from the inside out, and we start to have new life that we live out in him as we follow him. That's the good news that Jesus was light, life, and that life was the light of men. He went to a, he was, he went to a manger, he was born, 
He lived for 30 years swinging a hammer right next to his dad. He lived a perfect life. He lived the life that none of us could ever live because he lived it without sin. He died the death that all of us deserved so that when he rose from the dead on the third day, he conquered the enemy of death. And so when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be made alive with him. Because Jesus brings life to where there was lifelessness. It says in him was life, and that life was the light of men. John traces this theme throughout the rest of his gospel. You're starting to get an idea, you know, when these guys, when these guys write these things, they're, they're, they're master authors, you know. And so all of these themes that John is introducing us to in, in the first couple of verses of his gospel, he's going to explore over and over again. You know, you, you guys know this verse. This is the Tim Tebow verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then, of course, there was a time when Jesus went to Mary and Martha because Lazarus had passed away. Lazarus had gotten sick. And Mary and Martha were devastated because they had lost their brother. And Jesus was devastated because he'd lost his friend and his other friends were grieving. But this is what he said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Our world is filled with sin and brokenness and death. Many of us in this room, many of us in this church have felt the reality of the sting of death in our lives this year by having to say goodbye to somebody that we loved and that we cared about. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to our spiritual death, our, makes us alive in Christ. He is also the answer to the problem of final death. Because for those of us that are in Christ, for those of us that know Christ, there will be a day where we rise again and we live forever, worshiping in fellowship with Jesus and with other believers. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The final thing that John tells us in the passage that we're looking at this morning is that Jesus is light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know about y'all, but I do not like daylight saving time at all. Like, it drives me crazy. I wish they would just leave it alone. You know, I know we changed the clocks like six weeks ago, but I still get surprised when it gets dark early. All right? It just totally throws me off. The other night, I had promised uh, Catherine and the kids that I was going to grill hamburgers on the grill. And I had meat that I'd bought a few days ago, and I needed to cook it up so we could use it up before it went bad. And so, but I got working, I was working on a project up here, and it took longer than I thought it was going to take. And so I was running late. And then I had to go to the grocery store. And then I had to go to the grocery store a second time because I had to buy $20 worth of stuff in order to get the good deal on Dr. Pepper. So I had to go through the store again. I got home, then I had to put the groceries away and by the time I got out to the grill it was dark 
right? I'm like, well, what is this, Alaska? Like, what, why is it dark at like 5.30? Like, what's going on here? And so I'm trying to cook hamburgers on the grill in the dark, all right? And I turn, the, I turn the porch light on, but then I open up the grill thing and it casts a shadow. So I can't see the meat to see whether it's like underdone or overdone. And you know, and the four little like chicken nugget connoisseurs that live at my house, man, do they have opinions about the rareness or the doneness of their hamburgers, you know? Daddy, that one's a little pink. Is this safe to eat, Dad? Yes, it's safe. Daddy, why is this one, why is mine burned? I don't want to eat one that's burned. Yeah, so I'm out there on the grill trying to like, trying to manage this thing. So I've got my phone out, you know, and I'm, I'm shining the light from my phone on the grill, trying, trying to see what I'm doing. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Home Depot and I'm going to get one of those great big floodlights, you know, so I'm going to fill the whole patio with light. And then I saw how expensive they were. And so then I just asked Jonathan if I could borrow one instead. <laughs> so I got the burgers made. They were a little pink, but they were edible. Nobody got food poisoning. It was okay. But... It just made me think of what it's like when you're stumbling around in the darkness. Have you guys ever been in the situation that I find myself in occasionally where, where you, you get in your car and maybe you're like multitasking or you're distracted or you're talking to somebody on your phone and you start driving along and you're like, why is it so dark? I can't see the road. And then you look down and you like turn the headlights on. You're like, oh, that's much better. Just me, huh? Totally, I mean, it doesn't happen to me all the time, but it happens to me like probably a couple times a year. I'm like, oh, forgot to turn my headlights on. I wonder if that's what the psalmist had in his mind when he said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. You know, we live in a world that's filled with chaos and Jesus, the word, brings order to our chaos. We live in a world that is filled with brokenness and death and Jesus gives us life. And we live in a world that is filled with darkness, where we're stumbling around and we don't know what we're doing. And Jesus brings light into our darkness. I saw a t-shirt once that says, where are we going and why are we in this handbasket? Hey, think about that one for a minute. How many of us have ever been in a place in life where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I feel like I'm wandering around, like, I, 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 I don't know, I don't know how to love my wife well, I don't know how to raise my kids well, I don't know how to be the man or woman that God has called me to be, I don't know how to serve my church well, like, I'm doing the best I can, I don't know how to get my finances under control, I, like, my life is a total mess and I feel like I'm stumbling around in the dark. Brothers and sisters, the human race has been stumbling around in the dark since the Garden of Eden. since the time that we decided to choose our own blindness instead of following what God had for us. But in that moment when, he, when humanity chose disobedience and chose to sin and chose to walk away from the light that was the, the wisdom and the knowledge of God and tried to, to, to determine good and evil for ourselves, God made a promise. He said, one day, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the snake. I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a rescuer who is going to make right everything that was wrong. I'm going to send someone who's going to help make order out of the chaos. I'm going to send someone who is going to bring life where there was death. And I'm going to send somebody who is going to be a light 
in the darkness. Isaiah the prophet says it like this. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Brothers and sisters, do you look at the world we're living in and sometimes do you just feel oppressed by the darkness? Are there moments where you're tempted to, to, to despair and to lose faith, lose hope because you see the darkness of the world that we live in. We see the evil that people are capable of doing and you think, how can I make a difference? Jesus said it like this, John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus lightens our path. He helps us know just where to take the next step forward. Give yourself to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Follow his example. Follow his teachings. Read your Bible. If you're like me and sometimes you feel like you're at a loss, I don't know how to love my spouse or how to take care of my kids or how to order my finances or how to do a good job at work or how to reach this lost, lost, lost world. There is stuff in there in the Bible about how to do that. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Jesus is the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome. There will be times when we look out into the world and see it filled with darkness and we will be overwhelmed. But know this, brothers and sisters. Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome The last couple of weeks, Pastor Lee and I have been, in, in, our, in our podcast, we've been exploring uh, the whole idea of Advent. And that, that idea of Advent means the arrival. And it's, it's us remembering over the couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, the, the, the coming of Jesus. And, and kind of recreating and reimagining the, that, that anticipation of the coming of the Christ child. So, you know, we've got an Advent calendar at home. And the kids, they open up the doors. And we read scriptures. And they put the little figures in the manger scene because there's yet another manger scene in my house and then we've got these little cards that are the different names uh, th that are used for Jesus and we, we kind of put those up and we hang those on, on a thing that, 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 that lights up and, and, and we do all of this and we remember we meditate on these ideas of hope love, joy and peace brothers and sisters you will never have true lasting hope or joy, or peace, if you're trusting in the world. You're going to look at the world, you are going to be overwhelmed by chaos and death and darkness. You, put your, you fix your eyes on Jesus, he will give you hope. He will give you joy. He will give you the peace that passes all understanding. And then he will empower you to love those around you the same way that he loved you.
because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. John tells you the story of the birth of Jesus in this way because he's making a very, very clear claim about who God is. Jesus is God made flesh. The ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe made into a tiny baby. So we want to shine that light. We want to see that light. We want to shine that light. We want to reflect that light into our dark, dark world and begin to show that light to other people by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus is king, that Jesus is ruling and reigning. And one day, he will come again and set right everything that has gone wrong. Paul says it like this. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, think of it like this. In the next week or so, and you're seeing people out in the street and you're saying, Merry Christmas. I want you to think about what that means. When you wish someone Merry Christmas, you're, you are declaring Jesus is King. Jesus is coming again. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come back. We're going to sing one more song as we prepare to close this morning. And we're going to sing what a beautiful name. We're going to reflect on the miracle of the incarnation, on the miracle that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That that word Jesus Christ was not just a baby in a manger. He wasn't just a, a poor Galilean peasant who swung a hammer with his, with his dad for 30 years. No, no, no. That word made flesh was the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we worship him. And we place our hope and our faith and our trust that he is coming again. I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. And I want to simply ask you a question. Is there a time in your life that you have given your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you come to know Him? Now, you might say, well, I know Jesus. I've heard about Him. I mean, you just preached about Him. I've been in church before, but that's not the question I'm asking you. Is there a time that you have given your life over to Jesus, where you have invited Him in your life and simply said, Jesus, you now are the Lord and Savior of my life. I like to explain it this way. Have you given him the username and password of your life? Does he have access to all accounts in your life? 
See, the Bible says that we need to place our faith and our trust in Jesus in order to be saved, in order to have our sin forgiven, have a relationship with God now, and to be in heaven with God throughout all of eternity, we need to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. Now, you today may be ready to do that, but you say, I, I don't know how to do that. How do I place my faith and trust in Jesus? Well, the Bible says this, that we call out on the name of the Lord. I love what Romans chapters 10 in verse 13 says. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when it says call on the name of the Lord, you know what that means? Just to pray. To say, you know what? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you're watching this and say, I, I don't know how to pray. I, I've never done that. Well, I want to invite you to follow along with me. And if it's on your heart and your mind today to say, I'm ready to be a Christian, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life, then I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me. And so just right where you are, you can call out to Him and simply say something like this. Dear God, today I call out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I place my faith and my trust in Him to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me life forever with you, God. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, friend, if you've prayed with me today, no matter where you are, we'd love to follow up with you. You can simply go to heightschurch.org connect. That's going to take you to our website. Right there on the website, you click decision. And you let me know you've made that decision, that you've prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to be in touch with you. That information is going to come right to me and we'll help you take your next step of faith. And so thank you for watching today. I encourage you to subscribe to our Facebook page and our YouTube page so you stay current with all of our digital content. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to see you in person at a service at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So till we see each other again, God bless.